Welcome, everyone, to DEI After Five, the show that focuses on topics across diversity, equity, and inclusion with some of the brightest minds in the industry. Here's your hostess, inclusive culture curator and coach, Sasha Thompson. Hey, everyone, and welcome to this episode of DEI After Five. You know, if you have followed me or listened to me for any amount of time, you started hearing me talk about middle managers and the role of middle managers in diversity, equity, and inclusion work. Um, You know, what I have started to see in my practice is a lot of companies or a lot of organizations kind of doing this trickle down of diversity, equity, and inclusion that comes from the, the skies above or it's very grassroots. And so what ends up happening is those folks that are in the middle are often left out, right? If it's coming from top down, what does execution look like? What does this look like in my day to day as I'm a people manager and I'm managing the people and the folks on my team? If it's coming from the bottom up, right? Well, what are the expectations of employees of their managers and their leaders? Um, And so there's this really this disconnect. And so today's guest is Martine Kaloff who is a consultant in this space, who's done some amazing work um, around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we're really going to spend a little bit of time talking about that middle section, right? Those middle managers. So Martine, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Sasha. Thank you. So first of all, for folks that may not know, you know, who you are, can you tell us just a little bit about who you are? Yes, my name is Martine Kalau. Um, I am a DEI thought leader and consultant. Um, I run a boutique consulting firm, uh, which is called Martine Kalau Enterprises. And we essentially support human resources professionals and managers in um, dealing with the stress and anxiety and the burden of having DEI dumped on them. And I use that you know, term, not even loosely, but um, much more um, targeted because that's how I sometimes feel. Um, so what we do is we help them release that burden and um, equip them with the, the knowledge to be able to secure a seat at the table in driving diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we do that through consulting, through train the trainer, um, through actual training workshops and so forth. Great. You know, so, um, you know, it's interesting because when we spoke before, we were going in several different directions. And, you know, one of the things that I, I want us to touch on before we really dive in is for so many organizations, DEI, EDI, IDEA, what, you know, any, (laughs) all of the things, alphabet soup of what this work is, um, often sits in HR, Mm -hmm. right? And it's historically, that's kind of where it's been, right? Mm -hmm. It's about people, let's stick it over there. Um, But I'm starting to see a shift in that, especially over the last few years where sometimes it's a totally different department of its own. Sometimes it's sitting across other parts of the organization. So talk to us a little bit about kind of what you're seeing and where this work lives, and then we'll kind of dive into the rest of it. Yeah, absolutely, Sasha. I agree with you. It sits in HR um, because historically a lot of um, HR 
folks or individuals within that human resources realm um, are, have been uh, given the responsibility of driving DEI. And so sometimes um, they end up, you know, owning DEI and it, it could actually, DEI might be um, kind, kind of like be a, an extension of human resources, although it doesn't need to be, nor do I necessarily agree that it has to be either, but that's just the historical um, connection between that. Um, and particularly because DEI has been historically encapsulated with um, ESG, you know, um, mm -hmm. it, you know, uh, social, social awareness, environmental awareness has been bucketed there, mainly because um, until DEI is really seen as a business imperative, like any other business function or structure, like marketing, like sales and so forth, um, individuals just don't know, leaders don't know where it needs to sit. And so what ends up happening is that we rep repurpose and recycle people within human, re human resources to own this. Um, when I do the work and I work with organizations and I conduct a, an audit, if you will, one of the very first things I look at is, you know, do we have the resources to really drive DEI strategy, right? Well, one, is this company really serious about driving DEI strategy or is this much more of a performative um, exercise? And usually I can tell uh, whether it's the, the former or the latter based on their response to my recommendations. And one of my recommendations always is, well, there are two, um, we need some way to measure, right, DEI, mm -hmm. to look at the metrics. And on Similar to any other business function, we need an actual DEI tool. There are DEI tools out there that are specifically, um, you know, they were designed to measure DEI, not to be not a tool that we repurpose an HRIS tool or a learning, um, a yeah. learning tool. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that I look for is based on my recommendations, um, is this organization willing to um, expend dollars and resources to identify people who can drive DEI solely? Because if you're mm. really focusing on the strategy, then it doesn't, it be, it's less of an afterthought, right? It's a forethought. Yeah. It's embedded throughout throughout the culture of the organization, throughout, um, you know, the organizational structure, um, throughout, the, you know, uh, the key performance indicators, it's embedded in there. So you've got, you need a team, you need more than just one person. Yeah. So uh, that often is the challenge that organizations have, because there it's daunting to think, oh, well, you know, we thought this was a nice to have. And now this person is telling us that we need to create an entire team. Yes, I do recommend that if you really want to do DEI right, and I have a client um, that I work with in advertising, they have four, four people on their DEI team, right? And yes. I've come in to be a consultant for, for a couple of weeks. And so I can tell that they really do care about building strategy that's long-term and scalable. You know, there's there's so much in that because um, one, to your point, you know, you come in, you give these recommendations and it's either, oh, th thank you. This is great. Yes, this we're going to go forth and take this yeah. or, oh, you want us to do all of it? Like <laughs> we don't have the money. We don't have the budget. So then my response is, well, then you're not necessarily I don't know how serious or how much of a priority this is, because yeah. if 
if you come in, you know, I think uh, the whole conversation around um, data security is fairly recent one, right? Within the last 15 years is when organizations have really um, put resources around data security, right? Committed resources, people, technology, so forth, right? And so we wouldn't have, you know, no organization would imagine asking someone in, let's say the the sales team to drive data security right you want to find an expert in data security and then what it what will it also occur to you is okay it takes more than one person because we're serving an entire organization right so that's the same i I see the same trajectory happening with dei you know it's going to take a lot longer for this to happen but what's going to what i foresee is organizations are going to try this they're going to try that they're going to try everything but and accept just not all organizations, some, everything except for um, allocating the, you know, adequate resources, it's not going to work. They're going to get frustrated. And then they're going to say, well, you know, this is actually when, you know, like the, the saying, you know, you can lead the horse to water or they can right. you know, secure themselves. So that's really what's going to occur. Hopefully they're going to realize, okay, we've been doing this the wrong, we've been taking the wrong approach all this time. We really well, do. Yes. And that's when you get to folks that are burnt out and yes. overextended and, you know, all of these things because right. they're the sole person kind of responsible for taking the horse to the water, trying to get it to drink, but also trying to get the other horse, you know, just it's it's hurting cats constantly. Well, the thing about that, Sasha, and I, I'll touch upon this because I'm so passionate about this particular piece as well is because unlike any other business function what i the the thing with dei is that even when you bring in an expert everyone has a strong opinion and everyone feels like they're the expert so you can bring in a head of dei but what becomes exhausting is that they're not only a single source um, that has to support everyone emotionally in terms of you know lo- you know language in terms of um, development of dei but then they're also having to justify yes. <laughs> all of the decisions that they make. They justify it with the individuals, you know, uh, the staff members. They just they have to justify it with with leadership. They're constantly trying to justify their yeah. decisions because everyone challenges them and questions them, and it's almost like assuming that they don't know what they're doing. Right. And so that becomes extremely exhausting. And when you're a single person having to do that day in and day out, even with the people that help to bring you, you know, to the organizations, I've seen lots of organizations where you have like the equivalent of a DEI ERG or a DEI council um, that, you know, many of these, these, you know, employee resource groups have been found instrumental in driving right, uh, organizations to bring in a DEI expert. But once those experts are in there, right, these same ERGs are constantly challenging the person. They're not moving fast enough. They're not doing this quick enough. They're not, right. So that is what creates that exhaustion. So that's just another reason why one person, one sole person cannot manage all of this work um, single-handedly. Yeah. It's, it's just so much because, um yeah, it, it goes back to what you said, you know, it's around expertise, it's around uh, questioning knowledge and expertise, but it's also very much, to your point, a lot of people feel this is very personal. Yeah, And so 
if they feel included or if they feel like they're valued and see, oh, I don't have issues. Why do we have this? Well, that's right. your experience. That's right. Right. And so what's the experience of the greater part of the organization or even those on the margins that you may not even be listening or hearing? And so as practitioners, we, we tend to think about those folks that are often left out of the conversation. Right. Um, so I think that's that's so important. And that's a good segue into you know, as we're going into organizations and as you're talking to them, one of the things that I'm hearing so much um, is from people leaders. They're like, okay, we know there's this pie in the sky strategy, yeah. but I don't know what that means for me, right? right? I don't know what that looks like day to day. I'm checking boxes to say, yep, we went to this training, this training, this training, but behaviors aren't changing, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't know what to say, what to do. Um, issues around diversity and inclusion are coming up and they don't want to say the wrong thing, so they don't say anything at all, right? One of the big things that came out in 2020, the summer of 2020, was after, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, yeah. people of color, in particular Black folks in the organizations were waiting for their companies to say something. And mm -hmm. nobody was saying anything because they didn't know what to say or do. Right. Um, and so there was this hush or this silence that then created this other feeling of, well, Am I even valued here, mm -hmm. right? Especially if organizations were going out and putting black boxes on social media or putting all of this money toward um, supporting HBCUs and other um, aspects of the black community, but they weren't even listening to their own employees. Right. So I know I just, that was just like this rambling just now, but that, that's kind of the piece where I think there's so much, um, there was a light shown on how, there's a disconnect between what organizations are saying and what they aspire to be versus what are they actually doing right. and how are they supporting um, particularly people managers in this, right? Yeah. And so as you're doing your work, what are you hearing or what, not even what are you hearing? What would you recommend that organizations do when it comes to supporting their people managers? Yeah, that's great. This is actually the reason why I wrote my latest book, right? The ABC's of DEI Manager's Guide to Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the New Workplace. Um, I absolutely agree. Um, when we think about why, what allows us to stay in organizations, to stay in those in, in in jobs where there's a lot of ambiguity or change, and you know, there's not a whole emphasis, a huge emphasis on change management at a organizational level. It's really our managers, right? Mm -hmm. If we have the right manager, it'll make or break our careers. And when we think about the, the two bodies um, in, within an organization that can really influence the makeup of an organization, that influences the trajectory of the makeup of the organization, it's human resources, but it's mm -hmm. also the people managers, right? Who are also hiring managers or middle managers, right? They have the widest belt within the organization. So earlier, yeah. you know, Sasha, you were talking about the trickle down or bottom up. Middle managers are literally in the middle. They are the ones that can connect to the people at the top, people at the bottom, right? Yeah. And we think about the, the makeup, the demographics of an organization. Managers influence hiring. It's not necessarily talent acquisition. Talent acquisition is in partnership with managers. So if I, yeah. as a manager says, say, you know, I'm looking at all these resumes, they kind of, they all look the same. I need, I would like for, you know, talent acquisition. Can you, can you go out of our traditional network? 
so we can find the right person, right? Talent acquisition will do it, right? So managers have that influence on that. And in terms of hiring, right? Whether a manager has bias or not, and whether we exercise our bias and when we hire someone, that determines who joins the organization, right? That's really it. And then we think about compensation. Managers are in conversation with human resources. They're in conversation to figure out how much budget can we get? How much, but how much headcount, how many, you know, in terms of budget and headcount, how are we going to distribute it? Right? So managers are the advocate in terms of how much a person gets. The other piece of that, right. Is in terms of promotions. So during that performance review process, it's the manager who decides who gets promoted, right? They're in conversation with human resources professionals, but they are really the final arbiters in a way. They get to justify why or why not, right? Mm-hmm. And then lastly, as we as I started off as attrition, if I hate, if I decide to leave my organization nine times out of 10, it's because it's less of it's less of the fact that I'm, you know, I feel like the organization is not the right fit for me. It's more so my manager, right? Mm-hmm. People stay in spite of the organization because they feel com- connected to their manager. They feel loyal. They trust their manager. So for all those five reasons is the reason why managers have to be part of this conversation and not just this performative, you know, training is great. I'm, I'm a big avid of train, training, but it's not it's only effective when it, there's application and people Absolutely. are able to go in and try and say, I did this. It didn't work. And that's what has not been happening. And the most important place where this training and this learning can happen and be reinforced is through manager development, right? Yes. Every organization should have some sort of manager development program to equip new or recent managers um, in, in, in level setting, skill setting. And so this becomes a space where we get to remind managers, right? And so the reason I wrote this book and called it the ABCs of DEI and it's targeted to managers is to remind them that, listen, you don't have to be, you don't have to have all the right jargon and words and know all the different, um, you know, vocabulary around, around DEI to be engaged in this conversation. You don't have to be like this whiz problem solver to deal with situations where people come in and come to you and say they've dealt with a microaggression or what have you, right? You get to do what you know already. You get to exercise those basic foundational fundamental management skills. If someone comes to you, I remember actually leading a workshop on on, uh, on microaggressions and it was mm-hmm. targeted to managers. And one person said, Martine, I have no idea. Like, I don't want to get involved in in these, these conversations of microaggressions, I don't know whether someone has experience in microaggression or not. And I, and I, I remember saying to them, so when someone comes to you outside of, you know, this conversation about microaggressions and they say, Hey, I feel like someone said something to me that didn't sit well. What do you do? What would you do as a manager? Mm-hmm. And they said, exactly. That is what microaggression is. A microaggression shows up as someone feels offended or, you know, by something they saw or heard or how they were treated. They go to the manager. And as a manager, what you get to do is you get to coach them. You get to listen. You get to be part of the solution with them. You get to validate them. You try to understand them. It's not about agreeing or disagreeing. It's about listening to them. These are fundamental skills we know as human beings. So what what I think is so critical and what my book really 
really does is to remind people that we have a lot of these skills already. We get to exercise them, enhance them. So managers, put put your capes back on, right? Mm -hmm. Put your manager capes back on, and then you can actually help to really drive DEI within our organizations. You know what? I'm loving everything that you're saying because um, I actually made a slight pivot in my business in that most of my coaching clients right now are people managers Mm, around psychological safety. Yeah. And what I'm finding is, and this is true in almost any organization, right? How do you become a manager? Well, you do your job well, right? right? If you do your job well, then they'll say, okay, we'll put other people under you. Very rarely do organizations train people or give them the support and resources that they need to be people managers. Right. 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 We're good at doing tasks. We're good at build, getting revenue to where it needs to be. But what are your people skills? That's right. No one is really talking about that. And so I always, if it's fascinating to me, nine times out of 10, when I'm coaching clients, the one question I'll ask them is, well, did you ask that employee what they want or what they need? Mm-hmm. What right. do they need in order to be successful? And they're like, wait a minute. I I've never asked that question before. I'm just like, it's the, it's, it's coaching one-on-one, but like you said, you know, whether we really position it as people managers or people leaders, because I actually had a conversation with someone the other day who felt strongly that, you know, rather everyone has leadership potential and some of us are leaders of people and some of us are leaders of ideas, Mm -hmm. um, concepts. And so we manage things, but we lead people, right? So Mm -hmm. that's just another way of looking at it. But ultimately, I absolutely agree with you. It's reminding reminding individuals to exercise their human, what's within our human capacity, empathy, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And so what DEI has done, you know, unfortunately, in the way it's been introduced, because a lot of it has come from concepts within academia, right? And then um, trans- wow. translated through the media to us. So we're generally speaking, so caught up with jargon and saying the right yeah. thing. And so some of us are so afraid of not saying the right thing. And history has shown us our own history of saying the wrong thing and being attacked, yeah. right? Our character being attacked is I just rather not say anything at all because I don't want to get into more trouble. So what happens is, you know, the irony around DEI is that so many people, uh, whether even though it's supposed to be inclusive, it's ended up making many people feel excluded, right? Choosing to exclude themselves because they don't want to say the wrong thing. So I am just here to remind, you know, people and to really equip managers with with the knowledge that, Look, you have a lot of these skills already, right? We get to exercise them. And it's less about knowing what terminology is more appropriate. It's more about engaging in conversations. Certainly there are words and language that is completely inappropriate, right? Let's, Let's be honest. Let's not say that. But outside of that, you know, the average human being probably knows that and has awareness of that. And so DEI really becomes about building relationships through coaching, through conversation, through understanding, right? Through validating. And it's through that, that we get to learn. We get to learn how this person prefers to be referred to, how they identify themselves. It's through the Q&A conversations. And that can only happen, you know, through 
for if you're a manager and or a leader is through building, you know, those skills for yourself so you can navigate. And so that's Absolutely. really, you know, you asked me, what are those tools? The tools are going back to those foundational tools of people development, yeah. uh, you know, of of, uh, you know, building relationships, it's, it's coaching, it's asking questions, it's asking permission to ask questions. Absolutely. One. So, you know, people, yeah. I, I've had people and anyone who's listening or watching might be thinking, well, Martine, realistically, what does that look like? If I don't know how to refer to you, what do I say? I don't want to say, I don't want to accidentally call you black. If you don't say identify as black, I don't know if you identify as African-American. And I go, well, you can just ask me, you can right. ask me to ask me. And if you do that, there's no reason why I should be offended. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I get to practice is to remember and assume that every time someone asks me a question or says something that doesn't sit well with me, I get to ask myself, do I think they're intending that it's their intention to hurt me? Oh, or is it? Yeah. And that's part of the learning as well. And so that's, Absolutely. that's what DEI really looks like. You know, it's, oh gosh, there's so much to unpack. There's always so much to unpack. Um, because, you know, again, going back to what you were saying earlier around how the negative connotation around this work, right, is now making it seem to be very exclusive. Yes. Um, or, or policing what people can say or what people yeah. can do. And I think it's really two things. One especially in the corporate space, right? DEI, because it was so new, was always very closely tied to compliance. Yes. And, yep. and so there was this fear of lawsuits. And so don't say it, right? Because we don't want to get sued, yes. right? Like that was the, the fear. Yeah. Um, and so I think there was so much damage that was done by having this very compliance-based mindset around what we can and cannot say or do or what we can or cannot acknowledge. Um, and so by doing that, that made it kind of exclusionary. That, I think, I'm sorry, I was just going to say that's a really great point because you hear people, some people have hesitancy. They don't want to say the wrong thing because it could lead to a lawsuit. They don't, but absolutely, DEI is meant to be preventative, right? Yeah. It's when we don't acknowledge and we don't, you know, um, you know, sponsor diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging in the workplace, that it can escalate to something that's much more statutory, right? Yeah. Legal, where it becomes a violation of, you know, equal employment, you know, opportunities, EOC, right? So that's, but that's separate from DEI, but there is a, there is a connection. So absolutely. Yes. And I think people conflate the two, right? Yeah. Especially, you know, with the timing of things with the Me Too movement, yeah, it became this, oh, okay, well, because gender was basically what DEI was for a while, right? Yes. So I can't say or do those things because then I'll get canceled and, right, right? Yeah. So I think the other part to this is what are acceptable behaviors that organizations have allowed or unacceptable behaviors, I should say, that organizations have allowed to happen without recourse. That's right. Yeah. Right? Because that create created a culture yep. within that organization. And a lot of what's happening right now is a reset of, you know what? These were behaviors that were wrong then and nobody said anything. Right. Now we're kind of saying, okay, it's unacceptable. This isn't yeah. who we want to be. 
and you're starting to see a redefining of culture for many organizations. And in that, I think there's this feeling of, well, we've always done it that way or nobody ever said anything before. That doesn't mean that it wasn't wrong. Yeah. Now you're being held accountable. And so there's this, again, punitive aspect of it because people have gone unchecked for such a long period of time. And, and it's almost, it's having people understand why things have gone unchecked because people like, I don't want to say like me, but people who were part of these underrepresented marginalized groups didn't say anything. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and or when, when they did, they were punished. Right. Or they were ignored. Right. Yeah. And so that's the reason. Right. And so in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey, that's when, you know, it, there was like this awakening, this awareness that this is not okay because if we don't start to acknowledge and, you know, um, create, you know, uh, I don't, I don't know, like just being able to acknowledge that what is, is appropriate and inappropriate, it can escalate again. And what we know is that people who work in the workplace, they also leave the workplace. Right. And then yes. the same people in that we see nationally in the news, right. They're the same people that go to work. And so what we get to do as an organ, as organization is help to, to educate, offer awareness and learning around these things, right? And so that, I, I, I love how you just sort of encapsulated it. That has been part of the history and the journey of DEI, absolutely. Um, but, you know, now we're at a place where we get to really, um, really think about, you know, and, and, and decide whether or not we're just doing this just for preventative measures or if we're doing this because we really see that there's value, there's impact. And so one of the things I also talk about is, hey, there's actually an impact to the dollars, to your key performance mm -hmm. indicators. There's revenue impact. Um, and being able to speak to that doesn't necessarily, it doesn't cheapen DEI, right? It's still about the people. It starts with, you know, our stories, our experiences. But when we want to speak in a business setting, in a corporate setting, when we want everyone, everyone to speak the same language, that common language that we can all agree to and understand within an organization is our numbers, right? Oh, yeah. Numbers tied to dollars. And so that's where we get to insert that element of the conversation in, right? How yeah. is DEI also impacting our bottom line? What is that key performance indicator that is going to go up or get go down depending on how and in what ways we affect D, E, and I. Yeah. You know, and it goes back to what you said in the very beginning, right? This is a part of every part of the business, right? Yeah. I, you know, DEI is part of the company DNA. And so what does that look like when it comes to marketing, when it comes to client yeah. services, when it comes to accounting and finance? Yes. You know, and so every department needs to really look, a, look at how is this impacting? This isn't just about our employees and who we're hiring and butts in seats, right? Do are we have we checked the right number of you know people with disabilities on our team? No. It's it's far beyond that. It's how are we showing up for our clients and our customers? How are we impacting the communities that we're a part of? Right. Uh, how are we showing up in a way that we are creating change and impact in our industry? Right. And so I look at it from that perspective, like that's how organizations can, as, as you just said, 
right? Increase that bottom line by yeah. looking at, okay, how can you increase our market share? Right. How, how do you show up? Our markets if we're a business to consumer, are there markets that we have not addressed? And if we do tap into those markets, do our people, do they know how to communicate to those markets? Or are we going to be tone deaf in communicating exactly. to those markets? Right? Which or, is going to be damaging. <laughs> right, exactly. Or when we're building our partnerships, who are the 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 clients that our partners work with right and yeah. how do we equip our partners right and if we're like a, you know a, a nonprofit or government organization how do we get our funding who's looking at us who measures whether or not we are effective so we can get retain our funding or our whatever our our the contributions that we receive so it goes pretty deep if we yeah. want to look at it that way yeah and you know, if we don't, I, I, I really feel that that's a huge, it, it can be a miss for us because inevitably, right, you know, according to U.S. labor statistics in 20, 2032, the majority of the workforce will be POC, people yeah. of color. So we can either get ahead of the curve now as an organization, start thinking about these things, or we can be behind the curve when the tides change. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to kind of wrap this up a little bit, but you know, what I'm hearing very clearly is organizations need to spend that time focusing on that middle layer, right? The middle wow. managers, the people leaders, um, and really ensure that they have what they need in order to be successful. So that whatever their, you know, the top down strategy, it's coming up, you know, that they're able to execute on that, or even if it's coming from the bottom up, right? And the grassroots that employees are feeling valued, seen, heard, and connected. People managers have, or people leaders have what they, they need. Um, you know, and that's why embed, embedded in programs, you know, yes. making sure that they're not just a whole bunch of great programs, but they, they're scalable. They're connected. Like you said, if you're giving the HBCUs, you know, well, is there some sort of conversion? Are, are you allowing and inviting these uh, students from these HBCUs to apply to your internship program? Mm -hmm. And what happens after the internship program? Are we looking at entry level positions that um, that, you know, some of these students would be eligible for to apply to apply for? Right. When we look at interviewing at, when managers are interviewing, are there ways that we can help to mitigate those biases, affinity bias? Right. Can we create a blind interview, a, a blind resume? in some way, shape, or form so that, you know, it doesn't matter to the school that a person went to is irrelevant. Their name and how to pronounce it is irrelevant, right? These are all the things yeah. are, can we create checks and balances in the performance review process so that if a manager says, Hey, you know, says, you know, Sasha is really, I find her to be incredibly aggressive, um, you know, or difficult to work with, right? There's someone who can say, wait a minute, right? This seems like you're not really, um, looking at and measuring Shah Sasha's skills and her ability to do the job, you're really focused on her personality that has very little to do with the job, right? These are the types of things that we need to put in place. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it's... And you're not not aggressive, by the way. I was just using that as an example. <laughs> I recall many things, so yeah. <laughs> they call many things. Um, you know, but I think it's, it's such a critical part of this. And, you, excuse me, one of the one of the first episodes that I had of this show was talking about emotional intelligence. 
right? right. And, and what that looks like in this space, because it's such a critical part of doing diversity, equity, and inclusion work, but it's also a missing skill that I'm noticing in people leaders, right? And people right. managers. And so wanting to make sure that they have those skills um, oh. or organizations give the resources so that people can fully be trained on how to show up so that they can support the folks that are on their teams. Right. So, you know, Martine, I want to do a little bit of a pivot in that, you know, I always say, you know, this work is difficult and oftentimes we're herding cats or trying to convince people, you know, that the, the sky is blue and all other <laughs> types of things in this work. Yeah. Um, what do you do to, to kind of stay centered and grounded? How do you fill your cup? Yeah, I fill my cup in two ways. So one, I meditate every morning. Mm. When I don't meditate, um, you know, uh, I have a different attitude. Uh, <laughs> right? The the you know, I can't turn lemons into lemonade when when I don't meditate. So that's like my daily medicine. But the other is to stay connected with other DEI practitioners, mm. um, DEI experts, because um, you know we get to constantly support each other, learn from each other, and you know there's a collective consciousness about the challenges that we go through, right? So you don't feel like you're, you're the only one. I think there was a point in the, you know, a few years ago where I felt like, am I the only one going through this? Like, I'm so frustrated or here we go again, but being able to hear someone else say, you know, I I'm, I'm experiencing the same things and being able to brainstorm and support each other uh, goes such a long way. And so those are the two ways that I fill my cup. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I appreciate both of those, um, you know, especially being in community yeah. and sometimes folks being in community is a type of meditation as well, too, because it, it does help center. Um, and, and sometimes it's, you know, what's coming to me right now is even last night I reached out to a fellow practitioner and I was like, just checking in. How are you doing? Yeah, that's right. Great. You yeah. know, and, and the response was like, thank you, because I was having a bad day. Right. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you just need that to know, to your point, you're not alone. Um, mm -hmm. That, you know, sometimes you can pick up the phone and, and say, listen, I need to just vent <laughs> for yeah. a minute yes. or or, you know, I just need to share this, you know, wonderful thing that just happened. So I, I just truly appreciate, you know, sharing that because community is such a huge part of this. So, mm -hmm. Martine, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all your nuggets of wisdom. I think that there's so much that people can take away um, from this conversation. Uh, what is the best way for them to connect with you if they wanted to reach out to you? Yes, they can go straight to my website, martinecalau.com. Uh, go to the website. You can find information about my book and everything else. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. And everyone, thank you for joining us again this week for this episode of DEI After Five. And as always, you can follow us right here on YouTube. Just make sure you subscribe. There's a button somewhere down there. So subscribe. Um, and Or you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, have a good one.